Hello, so welcome back to another episode of Athletics Productions, the fifth episode. We've got someone interesting for you today. He's run 649 for the yeah. 60 yeah. and 1001 for the 100. 1001, you know. <laughs> I'm Victor, DJ Armani, and on, we've got Richard Kilty with us today. How has it been so far? Uh, it's been it, it's been good. Last uh, just had a, a relay session today in the middle of the middle of the season. Now getting towards like the business end of things, and um, everyone's starting to get you know creeping closer towards shape. Trials are now six weeks ago, six weeks away, and because um, you'd have done trials now, do you? Yeah, <laughs> really? it's been about time for trials now. So um, I feel like everyone's starting to everyone's starting to slowly round into shape. A few people have. Um, I've had a few niggles, injuries. Me personally, I had a bit of a slow start to the season. A few hundreds, few, a few. Most of them were into a headwind. Most, all of my rests have been into headwind. So I've been a bit unlucky with conditions, that's, but that's feel like I'm like ready a to. Seasonal thing for you, though, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the last few seasons for you, a lot of your best times have been into yeah. a headwind, and then there's like the one or two races where it's like, oh, okay, cool. I actually get a tailwind today. Yeah, 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 definitely. So it seems. To, hopefully, I can get some good conditions. I remember 2016, I was getting a few bad conditions I think European indoor semi-final yeah. I ran 10-1 something into a headwind and then the week later as soon as I had a bit of a tailwind I ran 10-0-1 so could do with a hopefully in still conditions uh, ready to drop something a bit faster okay. hopefully this weekend on um, in the anniversary games. So on the side of things where like normally at this point we would have done trials and it's a quite a different setup this year because everything's so much later in the season yeah um do you find that that's kind of worked for you um, where you had some niggles in the winter season um, yeah. or has it still kind of played a massive part in your plans where it's not gone so well? Yeah, I think for me, it, it, it's um, it's a blessing to have it a little bit later on because, um, you know, not many people knew how serious my Achilles injury was over the summer. Yeah. I had a tear in my Achilles. My Achilles was torn. Okay. Um, I was suffering with Achilles tendinopathy for about two years. And then eventually got that bad that I had to tear down my Achilles yeah. and I had to have my Achilles operated on. And I also had to have my plantaris removed and the other side of my tendon scraped. So it ended up being much more complicated than we thought it was. And then over the winter, my training was very much modified. I had yeah. to, I had no to, gym session, no every gym session. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no plyometrics, no bounding, no hurdle hops, no explosive starts and spikes, which I, I love to do, especially yeah. from like December, January time. And um, it, so I lost a little bit of that snap coming out of the blocks over yeah. the winter. And after the indoor season, it's given me a little bit more time. So I've been able to go into kind of like a second block of winter training yeah. through like March and April and even a little bit in May, knowing that the trials are so late. So for me, I, I prefer it being a little bit later. It gives me a little bit more time to get the confidence back in my Achilles and it, do, it does take a while. So I was being like confidence wise, knowing you've you know gone through this massive injury yeah is it the first time you've been through such a long injury as well yeah. where you've missed and it's kind of important kind of an important year as well coming up to tokyo 2020 i would have been playing in your head like you know i need this year to solve prepare myself for next year yeah because i know you're aiming to go under 10 like well yeah. <laughs> most people in your place will yeah. be <laughs> yeah 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 for sure it's something that's been I've had that pressure on me to go under 10 ever since 2014 and yeah. um, I've been very, very close on numerous occasions. Uh, but, you know, I've had 
you know, a little bit of, you know, I've had quite a few injuries over the last few years. And um, yeah, I think the confidence thing, it's, um, it, it, it did, I did struggle a little bit over the winter. And not only that, it wasn't after the surgery, it was after I won the European indoors in 2017 when I defended my title. I was over in Florida training with um, with Lance Brawman's group. Yeah. And my Achilles just flared up so bad that eventually I had to have injection after injection. I think I had so many injections, painkilling injections into that Achilles. And I felt like it'd be okay, then I'd run, it'd be bad. So I missed the whole of 2017 with the Achilles. Yeah. Well, I had a few races in the summer. I tried to come back and then I severed my finger here. So uh, I was looking after my son. Yeah. Uh, first day that I ever had him by himself. His mum was jumping in Italy. She's a, she's a world-class triple jumper. First time I had him, got him, him strapped in the car anyway, was rushing, left his milk in the house, ran into the house, ran out the door, pushed the door to too far fast behind me, caught my finger and literally ripped out the nail bed, crushed it completely. Uh, and then on top of that, I had that. I was meant to go to London for the relay, yeah. even though I was struggling with my Achilles and the Achilles injury. That kind of had a knock on into 2018 where I had another, I was getting injections and injections into it. It wasn't yeah. the solution. And I, I knew deep down, and I was telling the doctors and people, this is there's something deeper here. It's yeah. these injections. It's not, just, yeah, yeah, it's not, not helping to just yeah. keeping the injuries yeah. away for a longer period. So they period. weren't listening to you. Essentially, they weren't really listening to what you were trying to tell them that you were feeling in your body. Well, well, well I felt like I felt like a few of them had different opinions on exactly what it was. Yeah. And I felt like every opinion that I had, I thought, it's not quite that. That's not quite working. And I tried everything from loading it, injections, resting, this and that. Mm-hmm. So the whole process of my Achilles injury started in April 2017, and I didn't end up getting. I, d- I didn't end up getting. In fact, it, the, it initially came on in at, at the Olympics when we were running in lane one. Yeah. In Rio, but heavily since the um, Europe just after the European indoors in 2017, and I was suffering for, for almost well about a year and a half to, yeah. till it eventually got operated on, and then it was like, wow, I wish I had this operation a year ago, and I would have been moving quicker. So the last two summers, I essentially missed them both. And the last two indoor seasons, well, this indoor season, I came back. It was my comeback season. Yeah. But the year before that, 2018 indoors, I had a few races, but I was in pain brutally every single race. And to be honest with you, um, it did it did rock my confidence. Not confidence, it was just like I, I wasn't confident of standing on the line and running yeah. pain-free. I, I'd, never, I'd never, ever doubt my ability, but when you stand on the start line, you're in pain all the time and then you're not quite running as good. Yeah. I knew that that was the issue. And um, so it, it was it was tough, yeah. So going into, well, 2019, your first European um, indoor game. What happened between the trials yeah. and, you know, your selection, yeah. all the yeah. media, <laughs> yeah. things yeah. that went on. How did you carry that? Well, how did you go through that process yeah, it was, uh, so a lot of people, I've got to the point now where I feel like I don't really say as much as I used to because sometimes what I've said in the past, sometimes Get people have twisted it yeah. and ran yeah. with it and I've ended up looking like the bad person. But I'll tell you the process of exactly what went on from kind of the start of the indoor season. I started the indoor season thinking I'm just going to race and see what happens if I can manage to get back in time. It was a big shower. If your body's ready. Yeah, yeah I yeah. had an Achilles surgery five months before the indoor season 
it was a tough thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I managed to somehow get myself on the start line in, in some form of shape. Started off really slow anyway. I ended up running 664, went to the trials, was so inconsistent, ran really bad. Um, just wasn't me out there. And it was, it was, it was, I had to put my pride on the side. Yeah. And um, to be honest with you, I, I, I ended up getting beat by people I thought would never beat me, especially over the, over the 60 meters, you know, being so successful in that event. Um, prior to that, I'd been Europe's number one for what four years in a row with two European titles and a world title. And um, I just thought to myself, if I'm going to move on with my career, if I'm going to have the confidence in the Achilles, I'm going to have to step on the start line and put my pride to one side and just 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 run. And I did. Didn't run very well. Went to Birmingham the next week. Ran a little bit better, six sixty three. Still a mile off from 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 what my standards are. Yeah. That's that's a very poor performance for me in terms of what I've done in the past. And anyway, I felt like I'd um, I felt like they might have selected me. I'd missed the standard. Uh, I think by a few hundredths of a second, and I'd beaten all the lads that beat me at the trials. Yeah. Uh, and then I I didn't get selected, but then I had like loads of support off people on social media saying that I should be going as defending champion. I felt like defending champion should, should always, always, have, yeah. have, yeah. have, always have a wild card. If you have a choice, you should be able to decide if you want to go to it really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought to myself, you know what, I've came so far and I've done, I've done, um, I've gone through so much mental battles through my Achilles injuries, this and that, um, got dropped by Nike, no sponsorship. Mm. Um, I dropped, got dropped by another sponsor, Totem Sport. So financially, I took a big hit there in, in my earnings. And um, obviously, without the summer of competing, if you're not racing, you're not getting paid. Yeah. Luckily, I'd done really, really well in the years before then to be to, to, to be quite comfortable. But uh, I felt like there was a lot of pressure on my shoulders anyway. A lot of people thought that that, that I, should have, I should have been running as defending champion. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I thought to myself, well, you know what? I'll put an appeal process in. As I went to put an appeal process in, um, somewhere along the line, because of probably all the social media stuff, British Athletics didn't want me to run. And I thought to myself, okay, it, it, a bit disappointing that they don't want me to run. I can understand that they have their policy yeah. and their selection, but I did have the European Athletics standard and the British Athletics standard was quite high. In fact, if you'd done the British Athletics standard, you would have won the European yeah. Championship, yeah. which was crazy. <laughs> and, uh, whereas, whereas the women's standard, you wouldn't have made the final. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, it, what, it, I think that could be reviewed. But anyway, no excuses. In the past, that would never have been an issue for me. I've run under 660, I think 50 times, 45 times. I've run 6.5 or 6.5. Which is a record so, in itself. Yeah, which is massive. And, 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 and so I thought to myself, in the past, that wouldn't be an issue, but it had because I had an Achilles. I was coming back from an Achilles issue, injury. Anyway, somewhere along that process, before the appeal even got heard, heard by British Athletics, European Athletics contacted me and said, look, we've, we've overrided and we're putting you in. Sick. So thanks for European Athletics for doing that. Went to Glasgow. I thought I was going to win. Really thought that my experience and my talent would get me through it. I knew mm-hmm. that I hadn't had the background of training and the preparation that I probably needed, but I put it on the line, went out there and uh, fell short. But I was proud of myself that I got on the line and I, and I had an opportunity to, to to defend my title with my shield held high and um, didn't pay off, but I'm sure I'll come back again and um, and, and, and I think I can win that title. What made, yeah. having that surgery five months before, Yeah. what was the, the key thing that made you say, you know what, 
as much as I've had this, yeah. I'm still gonna go and race because Achilles is one of those injuries that you kind of, it's, we, as sports men and women, we all know that that's a very dangerous area when it comes to injuries. Yeah. So having had the surgery, what made you say, you know what, I've only had this much training, but I'm still gonna go and compete. Cause it wasn't even like you were competing just to kind of see where you were, like you were really yeah. going for it. And yeah. obviously I know being defending champion, that does come into play, yeah. but your health as well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. what was the deciding factor? Like what pushed you on to do it? You know what, when I came out, after I had my surgery, when I came round, one of the things which got me through my rehab, I was driving an hour and a half every day to the rehab center up and down into North Yorkshire from home in, in Teesside. And every day I was going down there, I thought to myself, I, I pictured myself winning the European title again, getting back to full fitness. And eventually I took big steps getting there and I thought to myself, I'm not too far off. Mm -hmm. And to, to be honest with you, I really thought I could go and win it, but didn't pay off. And I, and I thought even thought throughout the season, I was getting faster every race, I yeah. could still go and win. And it had been an amazing moment for me if I could win it for the third time. Uh, and to be honest with you now, it it's got to the point where I'm not even running for, for myself now. I've got my two and a half year old son. Yeah. And uh, now it's just about like making my family proud and uh, enjoying kind of the, the latter half of my career, to be honest with you. And I really felt like I could have meddled. And as I said, it didn't 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 happen, but it was just the um the vision of potentially being able to win it for the third time in a yeah. row. And I thought I was close and I felt slightly short, but that's it. That having come so close to getting your third title must be like a great feeling to know that even yeah. what we'll say you were 50, 60% fit. Yeah, yeah. Compared to what you're used to to being. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. in the back of your mind, that means you must be like, well, you know what, hundred percent I can go and knock these out back to back. Yeah, 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 for sure, yeah. It, and it, it gives me the confidence now from uh, of moving forward into the summer and into next season and building on, uh, you know, if I can perform like that, literally so short after overcoming all that adversity, um, I'll, I think it gives me big confidence going into the summer, going into next year and the next couple of years of my career, to be honest. And there was lots of other stuff going on around the European Championships that people didn't understand as well. I was, yeah. I, I, I got a Puma contract. Mm -hmm. I got, uh, I signed with Puma in the December and 10 days before the European championships, I didn't tell nobody in the interviews. I rolled my ankle training in Loughborough. Yeah. I think I was slowing down on the Mondo track, on the Mondo lane. I was doing a, a speed session there in preparation for that. It was the day that I got, it got announced that I'd be selected. Yeah. And I rolled my ankle. I couldn't walk for four days. I was on crutches, my ankle completely filled with water. It was a freak thing. I had to go and get a cortisone injection and the water drawn out of it. So I didn't train at all for 10 days before Glasgow. I couldn't even do a pre-meet. I couldn't even warm up the day before. And when I got there for the opening rounds of the 60 meters, I thought to myself, when I get on the track and put my spikes on, just it's pray that I'm not in pain because I just yeah. rest it, iced it every day. So the preparation wasn't great, but because of that, the Puma spikes, we're running a little bit high on my ankle. Okay. And coming from an Achilles injury, I'd signed with a new brand and I was only wearing the spikes for a few weeks and they didn't quite fit me properly. Okay. Not fit me properly. They were causing me pain where I'd had my injection in the water taken out and where I'd had the issue. Yeah. So we spoke to Puma and I said to them, my manager said to them the night before Glasgow, Richard's having mass massive issues with the, um, with the spikes. 
he's going to have to wear an unbranded pair of spikes. And they said, okay. They said, right, as long as he covers them up, as long as there's no logo on them, yeah. that's fine. So if you've seen in Glasgow, I had an all-white pair of spikes on. Yeah. The next day, when I finished fourth and didn't win the title, Puma called me up and said, we're cancelling your contract. So I lost my Puma contract, even though two days before that, the Puma track and field, the head of that, Nicholas, told me that it was okay to wear them in Glasgow. So wait, you got the contract in December yeah, and you lost it in March? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, my contract started in January, in so Jan I lost it within eight weeks. Just be And, and it, to me, it was quite upsetting because they told me, if they'd have said, right, you're not allowed no, to wear these spikes, him, yeah. I would have wore the Puma spikes, but I thought to myself, right, I'm defending my title. And you had a good reason for and not wearing them as well. I had a well. good reason. I just came back from Achilles surgery and I'd rolled my ankle. I'd had an injury 10 days before and they said that it was okay for me to do. So that was disappointing. But you get over it. It's, there's so much adversity I've overcame in my life that stuff like that, I'm not really, not really too phased about. It is what it is. That's the nature of the sport. There's a business side of the sport. And... The sportswear companies, British athletics, the agents, the managers, the meat promoters, at the end of the day, it's just business and you, you've Fair. just got to roll with the punches, really. When, so as soon as that kind of, like, how did you find out? Was it through like an email or did your like your manager tell you? And then what was your thought process from there? Like, was it just, okay, you know what? I need to like hit up a few different companies that do athletic stuff or yeah. was it more like a, just you know, I've had, I've had this already. Yeah, yeah, um, with yeah. Nike, I'm fine. I can do my own stuff for a bit and just keep ticking over until then. Yeah, how um, important is the sponsorship to you? Yeah, in the, terms of gear. Yeah, the sponsorship's good. Obviously, you get paid from the sportswear contract. So anyone yeah. that's listen, some people think that when you're sponsored by a company, you just get just get free clothes. shoes. <laughs> actually, yeah, yeah, they're actually paying you. So it's not like oh, I'm decided I want to be with that company because they've got the best clothes. It's basically who gives you the best contract, really. Yeah, and. Um, I thought, I'd, you know what, I, I just I just thought to myself, okay, it is what it is. I can't control that. Um, quite disappointed with it. I felt mm. like they handled it really, really bad. I don't think athletes should get trapped like that. I think the way that they handled it was, was pretty poor. Mm -hmm. But I thought to myself, if I perform well in the summer, hopefully I'll get signed with another company. As of yet, I'm not, but if I run fast, Stuff like that gets taken care of anyway. You know what? That brings me on to a nice, really topic about the Diamond League. Yeah. You know, we had a conversation last week um, with one of the other athletes, Ruben. Brilliant um, yeah, interview. Yeah. And he kind of said, you know, if you this week you run 998, yeah. you go to Diamond League. Yeah. And then if you get to Diamond League, you don't perform well enough, you don't go to the next one. How, you know, how do you expect athletes to go through that motion because you cannot be expected to run under 10 seconds every time you, well, you run yeah. or compete because sometimes wind, you know, there's so many other things that goes into well, it and traveling. Like, how do you, you, because I know you've been in most of these competitions a long, yeah. long while as well. Yeah. How do you go through that process, you know, with the Diamond Leagues, the league meetings, or you go to, you went to Switzerland? Yes, last Lausanne, one? Lausanne, Yeah, Lausanne. how do you deal with all those adversities really? Yeah, so basically, um, if if you were to go out and perform massively, you probably will get into a Diamond League. Um, when I won the World Championships in 2014, I kind of got invited to most of the Diamond Leagues that season. Mm -hmm. But after the indoor season, I got injured, I got ill. So the first few Diamond Leagues that I'd done, I was running 10-2. So after performing 
a bit subpar in the in Rome, Oslo. They, I kind of, my manager kind of said, right, we need to drop you into a few lower competitions. But I still went on to the uh, Glasgow Diamond League and a few others. But it's just kind of there's there's a lot of pressure on you, you know, and um, I think you've just got to accept that it is a business, and if you're not performing, you're not going to get into the meetings. You've just got to kind of roll with it, really. And as I said, it is tough because there's so many fast people coming through yeah. and there's so many different managers within the sport and they've all got star sprinters and they all want to have get a, a bid off to get this, their athletes in the Diamond League. And um, basically you've got, there's, there's, a hand, there's, there's quite a lot of top managers. They've all got their stables of athletes. A lot of them run Diamond Leagues. They're promoters themselves. Yeah. So it's a lot of it is how good your manager is. Can you get into that competition? And then once you're in there, can you keep performing well enough? It's kind of like a game to yeah, keep staying at stay that. that and if you if you don't run as well, then you're gonna drop off from into the Diamond League, and then you're gonna to have to go into like the EAP meetings, the European Athletics Classic meetings, World Challenge meetings, anywhere where there is. But sometimes some of the smaller meetings can pay you higher appearance fees than the Diamond Leagues. Seriously? Yeah, because you could have you could have in the Diamond League, you could have eight men who've all run sub ten. And they might only want to pay the top three or top four an appearance fee, but you could go, you could be a sub ten runner or, a, um, for example, like myself, someone who carries a lot of titles. Mm-hmm. Um, where and a smaller meeting might want to pay you an appearance fee, which you won't get That's at a down league. So sometimes you might think, right, I'm going to choose this meeting because it's you know it's not the diamond league. You you know you, you've got a high chance of winning that competition. The conditions could be better. It could be a faster track. And you're getting guaranteed money, as opposed to if you're not ready, jumping right in the fire. That's and, interesting. And having to perform in a diamond league, and just for the sake of going to it, because it's diamond, diamond league, league, you know, people want to be there, but you can actually make more money at some of the smaller meetings. See, that's not, that now gives me a kind of different outlook to when yeah. I see um, certain athletes at certain meetings now, because now I'll yeah. be thinking, oh, well, maybe they're not here because of that, yeah, or, yeah, or whatever. But thank you for like giving yeah, us that insight yeah. to see why yeah. you kind of miss certain meets and then just go run in a more, let's say like a championship. Yeah. If we compare it to football, if you say Prem and then championship, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you do something like that. So we've, with the idea of that, um, would you say you would like more meetings like that in the UK? Because we don't tend to get a lot of big no. meetings. Yeah. Valley, like, on a yeah. Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> Wednesday. I'll, I'll probably end up doing one of them myself. Yeah. How, so, you God. know, how do you, would you like British Athletics to, you know, have more of these competitions, yeah. do more events where you can actually earn more money in the country without having to travel, you know, an hour, well, two, three hours away? Yeah, yeah, I, I think we would. I think, um, you know, sometimes with British Athletics, their priority is for you to win an Olympic medal. Nothing else counts. And it's kind of like, you're putting lottery funding, your priority is to win an Olympic medal. If you're not capable of winning an Olympic medal, or they think you're not gonna win an Olympic medal, or capable of winning one, you're off funding. But that's because UK sports indication of success, they base it, that's the only thing they can measure on Olympic medals. And if we don't get Olympic medals, all those people in British athletics they start to lose their jobs. We're the gladiators on the front line. Yeah, we're getting paid much less than some of the staff. What do you get maximum on lottery funding? Twenty odd grand. When some of the, most of the coaches, performance directors, all these people, the physios, everyone, they're getting paid way more than us. 
and they want us to perform so they can keep their jobs. But the day we stop performing, the day we get injured, is the day we stop making money. And the day you retire, it's like, thanks, well done, thanks for the medals, thanks for securing our jobs. See you later. Well, good luck with life. Yeah, we'll put we'll put someone you on we'll put you on BBC someone, at some point yeah, in a few years. Someone else will yeah, come in, uh... if, if you talk well, if you've got the right image, if your face fits, that type of thing. But in terms of competitions, so there's been a few times we've been at the World Relays and um, we haven't been able to run the four by two. Where if we ran the four by two, we would have made massive money. And in terms of other competitions, we have like the City Games. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's actually in my hometown of Stockton on Tees in Teesside this year. It's not in Newcastle. So that's massive for me. I'm the poster boy for it. I'm leading all the promotion on it. And the City Games, they've actually been my biggest earners. I've been paid lots of money for appearance fees. I've been paid tens of thousands to turn up for the races there. So the City Games for me, that's they're, quite close they're, to your chest. They paid me lots. They paid me big, big, big appearance fees just to turn up and run. And that's bringing the crowds and the spectators to the athletes close and bringing the athletes to the city in close range for the spectators and fans to see exactly how fast we're running, how how high they're jumping, the hurdlers, pole vaulters, and it's incredible for the fans to see that close range. I think that's I think we need more events like that to showcase our talents and I think that becomes more Im- impressive. Whereas if you're in a diamond league, I love the diamond league, I love the concept of athletics but if we want to engage more fans i think we need to start taking it to different cities across different environments and things like that and i think we could do with more because you've got there's there's probably 10 meetings in switzerland a year where you can go and make make money big competitions world-class fields in england we've only got the two diamond leagues and the city games whereas i believe we should have a few more meetings grand prix and it's not just up to british athletics you guys could go and think, right, you know what, we're going to host, um, we're just going to try and go and find loads of big sponsorship deals, yeah. big companies and say, right, we're going to bring the best athletes in the world to wherever, could be Lee Valley, could be anywhere, could be in the centre of London on a street games. Yeah. And if those companies involved, you could get a big budget and then you could pay all the stars to come. But there's nobody doing it. I think that's what's happened around Europe. There's just, you know, people who've got their heads together yeah. and thought, right, we're going to, put on a big competition, we're going to get the TV involved and we're going to bring in loads of... I think that's one of the biggest problems, isn't it? It's like, yeah. you yeah. need the TV program, well, yeah. to pretty much be there yeah. for most people to kind of want to go. Like, I think a few years ago, was it last year or the year before, I was watching the British Trials mm. and it was quite painful yeah. seeing so many empty seats. Yeah, yeah. And considering you watch, you know, a lot of the Americans college system the, the yeah. games literally is packed stadium yeah, yeah, yeah but how do we get interest like where you know surely there must be a way firstly where their concern everything in america is a big sport mm. their smallest sport is still going to be big mm. whereas off of here yeah. it's like if it's not this yeah. we're not really interested basketball is a big thing in america but over here yeah. unless you're really into it you're not really seeing it unless you're into athletics you might just flick on the TV and it happens like, to be on. I had a conversation with someone in like uni and it was like, we only care about athletics every four years, which yeah. is kind of true because yeah, everyone only watches right, yeah, the Olympics. Yeah. yeah, People don't realize you have the Europeans, the Worlds, you know, people kind of forget yeah. until the Olympics comes. But that is to change. Yeah. Because if we need more athletes to compete, more money in the sport, that has to change. Yeah. And you know, what, can we do well what can british athletics do uk sport to try and improve that because we need a way for this sport to get bigger 
Yeah. Because we are getting a lot of talents. I mean, we've got probably the best group of athletes at the moment. This yeah, by far. Yeah. Coming through, they're all 24, 25, yeah. you know. Yeah, <laughs> the next few years, it's going to be big. massive. Yeah. But we need more sponsorship for those athletes. We need them to stay in the sport. Yeah. Because there's been a few people where, you know, they've been so big coming up to the under 23s mm. and you don't hear about them anymore. Yeah. Because they kind of think, do I want to work? Do I yeah. want to carry on with this? You know, the struggle. Yeah. And we need a way for, for us, you, you know, yeah, to yeah. help you guys, to say the least, to promote the sport. Yeah. In the UK especially. Yeah, it's... um. It is one of those um, things which, you know, as athletes, we always have this conversation, what what would we like more? Mm-hmm. Well, ultimately, we'd all like, we'd all love to get paid more for competitions, for some of the best people in the in the world, in, in, in the purest sport on earth. Um, you do do, you, you can do really well, you can, you can make lots of money from this sport, but it's kind of like, you'll only make that when you're doing well, and to make more money, we need more exposure, we need more competitions, we need... The sport itself needs to, you know, come across as more appealing, more exciting. And I'm not sure how, how you're doing that. And, and, you know, other things which impact that is like sponsorships. You're only allowed one logo on your vest. So that stops you from making more money. Because if yeah. you could have 10, 10 logos on your vest, it's more money, uh, more more money that you can pull in. Whereas that's a bit of a block on us, but so you, I, get taped, you get taped off straight away. taped off straight away. Effectively, they're yeah. basically capping your pay. Yeah, as yeah. such. Yeah, and so it's like know. they don't they don't want you. They want you to perform and make yeah. Britain look good, but they don't want to make yourself. Yeah, I, I, look well, good well, we're or be financed. A, yeah, we're capped a little bit. It's like it's crazy. Like the Olympics is one of the biggest. It's the biggest sporting event in the world, mm-hmm. but there's no money involved in it. So you can become the Olympic champion, but there's no prize money. But look how many sponsorship, how much money is the, is the Olympic, yeah. the IOC making? It's incredible. Yet there's not there's not one pound given to an athlete to for prize money for being the best on the planet. In Seriously, their yeah, there's no prize yeah. money for that. You'll get money from your sportswear contracts. So if you won the Olympics, you'd, you'd, you'd make loads of money in your contracts, and you'd get your big appearance fees on the circuit and private yeah. sponsors. But from the Olympics, or there's no there's no there's no there's no and you can imagine money. four years four years yeah yeah of hard work and you get to that level you get to yeah. the final you know anything yeah. can happen in the final and yeah. you know you come out of it and you're thinking well i've been in the olympics but yeah what there's nothing out to, of it yeah, yeah your bank account has nothing to show yeah. for it <laughs> you know, oh my god because yeah. i've been in the champions league yeah yeah final yeah. and then yeah. coming out and going you know what i came second but you know I go about yeah. 10 mil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, but you know, ultimately, there's not money f- directly from them. But if you became Olympic champion, yeah. you're going to make lots Yeah, you'll make it from interviews. Yeah, and, and, there's lo- and there's loads of other things. Whereas world championships, you win big prize money. You know, you, you, win, you win loads of prize money and then knock on things happen. That 2014, I probably had £20 in my bank account before I went to the world championships. Mm. I left making way, way, way over six figures that year immediately that's from Sick. you know you know a combination of prize money appearance fees contract sponsors things like that so you can do very very well mm-hmm. but to think that there's actually no prize money in the olympics when there's prize money the crossfit games has the yeah. prize money do you know what i mean <laughs> come on and you're talking about the, the best athletes on the planet are not getting paid to be the best on the quickest in the world, people in, world. in the olympics <laughs> when all the people in the suits high up they're the ones who are 
bringing in all the money, they're getting paid more. But we're like modern day gladiators, I always say. Because you can imagine, yeah. If I if I organise the Olympics, yeah, I probably get more money than some of the athletes. Hundred percent, yeah, yeah. You can only imagine. <laughs> Thinking what, about it that way, yeah. So like, you know, if I'm a kid right now sitting there, I would just be going, you know what? Rugby looks like a fun sport. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Rugby looks like a but. You know, we are in this sport for a reason. You know, yeah. everyone wants to push themselves to see yeah. how quick you can go. You know, yeah. boats are sort of raised the standards so high yeah. that now everyone wants to get everyone wants to get as close as they can. Everyone was like, you know, I coach a lot of kids now yeah. and a lot of them just say, Oh my god, I'm two seconds yeah. off the world record. You know, that feeling of getting putting it down and yeah. people don't realise you might be running ten five. Yeah. That's quick. Yeah, that's rapid. Yeah, uh, like, people yeah, yeah, like it's yeah. a really quick yeah, time. Yeah, and we had a video the other day um, of the American footballers doing the forty meter dash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look at the crowd for that. Look at yeah. you can imagine how much they want or they got for that kind of event. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We need to circle off some yeah. events, you know, for our athletes as well. Do you yeah. think maybe in the next couple of years they should do a thing where they they have the American um footballers go up against track stars so yeah. they pick like i don't know maybe the top three yeah um you do like a um a league thing yeah so then at the end of that the top three they then go to do that and then obviously the winner yeah. from that it could yeah. be a team thing so they i don't know it gets split between yeah um, it's a the three. Football, isn't it? so yeah you work. know what? it's bang marquis goodwin the long jumper yeah he won a million dollars the other day for winning a 40 yard dash against a handful of picked america other american footballers yeah because people just wanted to see who was the fastest a million dollars for winning a 40 yard race <laughs> he can retire yeah like marquis goodwin he's a he's, an, he's a great athlete incredible mm. footballer pretty quick sprinter but there's probably 200 sprinters on earth that'll well, beat him yeah yeah uh, who and some of those because the, the best yeah, one at the moment yeah. is when everyone goes, you know what, footballers are quicker. Then <laughs> you know, did you, that's did you see I'm... the video of Ronaldo trying to come yeah. out of the box the other day? Come on, man! Like, <laughs> like, I think I think to myself, and there's been a few times I've been down like the football clubs and this and that. Or you're here. I've been doing lots of work with the kids. I've been going into the community. I've been doing loads of school visits recently. Yeah. And my old teacher, I, I was in the school yesterday actually. He said, "Yeah, I was quite. I done it in ten point six. I said, "Yeah." He said, oh. he, said, yeah. he, said, he said, I said, you never do it ten six. And he goes, oh yeah, I was, I was fitter then. Like I was only 14. So, so you'd be the fastest 14 year old yeah, in the history of probably you were. <laughs> and if you'd done that, you'd have probably went on to do special things. <laughs> and, and you're just like, come on, get a grip, man. Don't do that. But ultimately I think, yeah, the, you see the, um, the footballers and things like that. Call them that out. Would, that would engage people. Call them yeah. out. I, I done one with them, um, Hector Bellerin. He started doing all this yeah. tweets years ago. <laughs> and I was sat down, me and James Ellington, we were about to go training in Florida. And he said, why don't you challenge him? And I thought, you know what, I will. So I got on the Twitter and I just come up with any sum. I thought, right, I'll put 30K on. And I said, I'll, put, I'll challenge him at 30K. Basically the loser has to, I, I didn't want to win his 30K. Yeah. Yeah. We could have made it, we could have made it a much bigger fee. 30,000 to them is not a lot of money. Yeah. We could have even went for no, 100 right. grand, grand whatever, whatever money, because we'd be that confident of beating them. Yeah. It would be almost impossible for them to beat, unless we yeah. pulled up with a hamstring injury. Yeah. yeah. and beat them. They're great footballers, incredible at what they do. But that's like, it's not that's, the same like that, 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 that's like our relay team thinking, right, we can go and beat um, you know Liverpool in a football match just because we're, we're fast. <laughs> yeah, it's not that simple. So they're great at what they do. They are fast compared to a normal human being.
but they're not compared to sprinters. We're, we, we're born with extreme talent and we've worked so hard and gone through so much to be in this position. We fine-tuned everything, technique, nutrition, look, uh, mental things. There's so much that you have to go through to be yeah. an elite. It's, it's a fine-tuned thing. But imagine how many people you would get attracted if, if we said, right, we're going to take Cristiano Ronaldo, Hector Bellerin, Adama Traore, Bale, some of the faster things, yeah, Gareth yeah, Bale, and Mbappe, and we're going and we're gonna to get, we're going to put them in a diamond league, or we're going to bring the Great Britain relay team and on the, on a football pitch in Wembley Arena, they're going to see who can win the race. Imagine how many Literally, people you would get, would and imagine as well, and that'd be another way. You'd probably that fill out the stadium, you get, yeah, the yeah, yeah, get more exposure, and, yeah, and then we'd get more credit for what we do because we'd beat them by ten meters, yeah. fifteen <laughs> meters maybe, <Even> more. <laughs> and then that would bring exposure to our talent and our sport and I think things like that need to happen maybe you know th this year at the Indoor Grand Prix they had the report or the BBC report they give him a lane yeah. in the qualification rounds of give lane one and lane eight to two sports stars the fastest rugby player in the country the fastest fast. football and see how quickly they come off the camera and how, how fast we leave them <laughs> from the blocks our sport needs more respect and I'm like always somebody who tries to stand up with it so I've got Carlin Isles like the, that Carlin Isles there was something you know going on Twitter and he was he was he was going on the other day and it's like come on man like you're very fast but well, you're not but, but, you're, not but, but, but <laughs> you're not you're, you're not a world class but he's very very fast he's ran 665 but 665 will not qualify him to represent the country and there's again 200 sprinters on earth can run faster than that every year yeah. so amazingly quick for rugby to claim you can beat the fastest man on the planet. Yeah. Come on, get a grip. It's like CJ Uja at the live feed. You know what was the funniest live feed I've ever watched? Shout out CJ. And someone kept commenting, Walker will be you in a sprint. <laughs> and he got so angry. I mean, yeah, but <laughs> listen, I think yeah. when, when Walker first like kind of came onto the football scene, yeah. oh, he ran 11-5. It was 11-5 at 14. <laughs> and then a few years later, he alone had run 10-8 or 10-7. And yeah. he was like, all right, he's quick, but you can see he ain't that quick. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of look and think, you know, there are a few sprinters that have come up over the years where they're not technically sound, yeah, yeah, but yeah. they've run some quick well, times. Quick I mean, time. there was a guy, I don't, I don't know if you were in this world at this point, there was a guy called, I think, Chris Williams, and he was from up north. This guy was rapid. He run about 10-7, right. like, and he was scrappy as hell. Came from football. Yeah, yeah. But now I'm like, mm, yeah. Would you yeah. be that quick now? Well, there's, would you there's be a, that quick then? You know what? There's a, there's yeah. a guy from like in up north as well. He just came to his spot about a year ago, mm. and he's one ten six. Right. He's been in sport a year. Yeah, yeah. And ten six, you know. But that's natural talent. That's yeah, just yeah. pure. I don't think he's been in football. Yeah. I yeah. don't think he just came to the track and had a, had a go, and yeah, you know, yeah. he's doing quick. some yeah. big things, yeah. and. We would like, you know, like City games, yeah. bring like a Rashford in, you know, yep, you're in yeah, Manchester, bring like a footballer in. Yeah. The amount of crowd that will go in, yeah. the amount of investment that will go into because yeah. people want to see them. Yeah. You know, everyone thinks, you know, Rashford is probably assuming the quickest in the United. Yeah, bring it to yeah. the City games, get some sprinters in. Yeah, yeah. You guys, are, you know. Yeah, if they can't play and give them the money because if you pay the footballers a big appearance fee to come and run, the crowds will come. The yeah, 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 the crowd I mean? will come. It's, it's stuff like that, but work itself out yeah it's definitely something where you know I'll always stand up for our sport and defend it because it's something which is like you know any sprinter especially at the top level if you're running under 10.2 seconds in the 100 meters it takes a, it takes a hell of a lot to to get to that type you of know, level that's like six days a week training yeah. if not seven yeah. you know trying to 
annoy the wrong thing, yeah. do the right movement, you know. Yeah. Instead of walking somewhere, you want to just, you know, yeah. take a car because you don't want to hurt yourself. Yeah. And that preparation phase, like, yeah. coming up now is the British tri- trials yeah. in August. Yeah. You know, you have to prepare for that. How is that preparation going? Yeah, you know, preparation's going, preparation's going, going great. It's, um, I've run a few more 200, I'm going, I've run one 200 this year. The weather wasn't very good and I'm, I don't know what event I'm going to run. This weekend I'll run the 100 metres in the 4 by one The week later I'll run in Switzerland over a 200 metres and depending on what event it looks more likely that I'll qualify in, I'll push towards that and it's that, that's as simple as it is. My training, I feel like it's going great, I'm happy. Um, I'm just, I'm over the moon just to be back on the track and competing injury free and enjoying my season. And trust me and any other athlete, I'll tell you, nobody performs well when they're not enjoying it. Nobody performs well when they're anxious or they're tense. You will, every single athlete in the world performs better when you're happy and when your mind is clear and when you're enjoying it, no matter what. Yes, sprinting is, you know, it's it's a big ego sport. There's a lot of egos. You've got to have that, you know, little bit of fight in you and that little bit of arrogance and mm-hmm. uh, and, and things like that but ultimately everyone's going to be performed better when they're relaxed every sports person you know i've got friends who are world-class boxers and they always perform better when they're completely relaxed you watch yeah. the best people in the world at what they do they're relaxed when they do it yeah. all of my best performances every time i've won a big title i've been unbelievably relaxed and just in the moment and with a clear mind, no pressure on myself, no real, you know, sense of urgency, no, you know, no pressure, no thinking about what other people think, just completely clear minded in the moment, ready to go. And at the moment, I'm in a good mindset. And mm. I think the thing that's brought that on is because I've struggled the last two years to complete a season. And now where you I'm are, getting no. quicker race by race and I'm enjoying it. So I think I'll get quicker race by race. And that's what, that, 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 that's where I'm at, at the moment. But um, I think I think I'll end up having a good season this year and build on that again going into next year. Do you think that the more successful you get, yeah, the more kind of stressed out you get? Because when when you're like teetering around the top, yeah, you're still you are quite relaxed with that because oh well you know I'm there but I'm not there. Yeah. I've got that urgency to get there, yeah. but I can relax more. But then when you started winning like international titles, yeah. did the stress then come? come on to you where it's like, oh, I actually've got something to my name that other people want. Yeah. Is that when the stress kind of came in where you weren't as relaxed and yeah, everything's kind of took you won the European indoors twice? And I won the world twice. indoors in 24. Around the yeah. same time. So yeah. you kind of went through, yeah, you kind of went through a really good three years. Yeah, even, even four years, I would say. I would say 2014, I won the world championships became world champion at the 60 meters yeah and uh and 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 that's a big thing how many who's competing now from britain who's who's an individual world champion what was that like that that was that was like 649 as well yeah that 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 was incredible and as i said before that i was nearly lost to the sport a few times over my teenage years Mm -hmm. you know we'll, we'll go into that and that's uh you know but Let's talk about that moment mm. particularly. I started the season year before that, almost lost to the sport, was going to completely go down another route in life. Decided to get back, 
had a decent summer of 2013, started working with Rainer Ryder, mm-hmm. um, who, who now is not working with British Athletics. I went on my first training camp to South Africa, started training with Harry with James in the same group as Christian, uh, Christian Taylor. Rainer was around, Tiffany Porter, loads of other world-class athletes, Chara yeah. Proctor, everybody was in there. And suddenly I was in the right environment. I was getting physio, I was going to sleep early. Rainer got me eating right. He, he switched me on a pier. He made me believe in my talent. Yeah. And my talent was something that's never been denied. I, I grew up in the, the Northeast without really any good structure or coaching. Yeah, and I won two English schools titles training once a week. Definitely you know. going into that. <laughs> you know, so and, hold and, that and we'll, Yeah, we'll go, we'll go back into that. But he then suddenly made me believe in my talent. Mm-hmm. He got me moving right with good technique. I was running a little bit raw, as we said before. Yeah. And suddenly, as the camp went on, I started growing in confidence. And he said to me, I've got you a manager called Alphonse. He wants to work with you, get you a few 60-meter races. And I thought to myself, ah, 60 meters, not really feeling it. I want to run more 200s. Mm. 200 was my preferred distance at the time. I went to my first race, 668. Oh, I, I, don't, I told you I don't want to do it. You told me I was in 6.5 shape. I'm in 6.6 shape. <laughs> I said, right, go on to the next one. Went on. 663. I thought, oh, I'm 200th of a second off my PB. He said, just go at the British Championships next week. You run a PB, we'll leave it there. And then we'll happy focus on the season. Went to the British Championships, 665 in the heat, mm-hmm. 658 in the semi-final. After the semi-final, I won it. And I said to Renner, buzzing, I ran 6.5. Doing <laughs> Yeah, and, and then, and, then um, and I thought, that just means I'm in good shape for the 200. Yeah. He said, go into the final. Don't care. Went at the final, ran 653. And suddenly I ran 6.53, DeSalo won 6.50, me and Dwayne tied with 6.53. Yeah. And suddenly I thought to myself, 6.53 is one of the fastest time in the world. Suddenly, now I'm a really good 60 metre runner. And I got selected for the World Championships. When I went in there, as I said, I had no money in my bank account, nothing. It was the first time I'd ever represented Great Britain at a senior championships in an individual. How old were you at that point? I was 24. And um, I went into it completely just thinking to myself, I'm going to fully embrace the championships. I'm going to completely go into it relaxed. And I know for a fact that I'm in great shape and I'm going to enjoy the rounds. I'm going to enjoy the build-up. I'm going to enjoy the travel of the competition. I'm going to soak it all in. Yeah. Because I've seen over the past so many athletes get there, the first opportunity and tense up and put too much pressure on themselves. I thought to myself, I'm going to go there. And Rainer was on my side. And to be fair, he was incredible. Was he there? He was there and he got into my mind. He was you know, he was coaching me absolutely incredible. I felt like I could run through a brick wall. You know, some of the things he says, he's just got that. that he can buzz. say those, he says the right things at the right time. And I got there, I ran through, I had Nesta Carter in the heat, someone who I would never dream of the year before. He just got a bronze behind Bolton Gatlin in, in Moscow in the World Championships. Yeah. He was in my heat. Rainer said to me, okay, go and beat the guy. Just go and fucking beat the guy. And I was like, <laughs> oh. and he's like, and I was like, he's like, fucking so fuck, fuck that guy, man. I'm thinking, sorry for the swearing. It's all right. Um, it's, fine. And, um, it's all right. You're good to go. And um and uh and uh, so I thought, all right. So I went in, didn't think nothing. I won the race, six fifty three, per equaled my personal best. I didn't think no- nothing of it. Then suddenly I got back, checked my Twitter. Everyone was commenting, oh Richard, Richard's doing well. Do you think you get me this and that? And then I started to get a bit more following. And Renny yeah. said, hey man. Turn your fucking phone off. Don't get involved in that. So anyway, switched my phone off. Went into the next day and I, I lost the semi-final. Nesta Carter beat me. Yeah. And he ran 651 or I ran 52 PB. I was in the World Championship final. 
anywhere, I went through to the mixed zone. Mm-hmm. And I remember Maurice Green came up to me and said, you were looking great, good luck. And I thought, this guy's my hero. <laughs> How does he even know I am? Yeah. This is my hero anyway. I used to watch, I used to get nervous when I was watching him running. He's telling me that he thinks I can win it. Anyway, I went down, put my music on. I slept for about 45 minutes in the call room. Yeah. Uh, after that, Rainer came and tapped me. Andy Burke, the physio, gave me a bit of massage, loosened me up. Yeah. Came back, he stood me in the middle of the warm area with Brycey, the biomech. And biomechanist Brycey came over and said, where do you think you need to improve in this race? I was ranked fourth out of the semi-final times. He said, what do you think you can do? I said, I think I might be able to get a medal here. Mm-hmm. And that would change my life. And Brycey said, right, at what point in the race do you feel like you need to make it up? And I'm thinking, I said, maybe in the middle of the race. And he said, right, look at this piece of paper. He brought out the stats. He brought all the splits out, zero to 30, 30 to 60. Mm-hmm. He looked at them. He said, look at 30 to 60. I was top of the list, flying 30 of about 260, 259. And he said, you're the fastest in the field out of the heats and the semis between 30 and 60. And I said, right. He said, but you're 400s down on the people who've ran quicker than you to 30 meters. Mm-hmm. And he said, so you think you can get a medal? I said, yeah. He said, well, I'm telling you now, him and Rainer said to me, get to 30 meters, 200s quicker, and you're going to be world champion. And I thought, simple instructions. And I thought to myself, just get out to 30 meters. I went into that call room, you know, against people who were my heroes, people who were my idols, Dwayne Chambers. I had a picture of him in my bedroom wall from when I was 10 years old. I met him and I was shaking like a little kid. I'd never beat him in my life. I had a signed picture of him in my cap in my bedroom wall when I met him when I was 10 years old and a picture of him in my bedroom all the way up until I was about 17 year old. Mm. And then suddenly I'm lining up against him in a world championship final. Nesta Carter, Marvin Bracey, Femi Ogunodi, all these amazing yeah, athletes. Yeah, very, um, very quick that year. All incredible athletes. Su Bing Chan, Chinese guy. He was in. He was in. He was in there. It was a loaded field, and I just went in there. And I can remember just before I was being, I was so relaxed. I was just buzzing that I got there, and I had simple yeah. instructions: just get out to thirty. And I wasn't thinking World Championship final this or that. I just was in there, so relaxed and so in the moment, and just so. So so confident that I was going to run my fastest time. I couldn't yeah. say I got beat in the semi-final, so I didn't know what the other guys were going to do. But one thing yeah. I knew that I was going to run the best time in my life. And if I'd done that, I'd be hard to beat. Yeah. And before I went out, I just thought to myself for a few moments, I thought to myself, out of all the adversity you've gone through in your life, everything you've got to took here, you've gone through to get here, this moment can change your life completely mm-hmm. forever. And then after that, I thought, right, this is it. Cleared my mind happy mode, got all the thoughts out, thought to myself, right, get out there. I went out there and I can't remember anything else apart from that, apart from crossing the line and thinking I'd won. Had my hands on my head. I was looking back and I thought to myself, I've won. Put my hands up and I thought, I'm world champion. And I thought, no, nah, don't say <laughs> Somebody might have dipped you in the corner. Somebody might have dipped you. And I thought, this is, and then I looked up and I could see Luke Cutts and Robbie Grabars and they're waving the Great Britain flags and they're pointing at me. I'm thinking, me? And I'm thinking, what? So I'm walking back, walking back looking up at the scoreboard, everyone's yeah. and it flashed up Richard Kilty, world champion. I remember the song Tina Turner, simply the best start blasting <laughs> out. I dropped to the floor, laid back, closed my eyes, and I thought, please, pray, let this be real. Yeah. I sat up, opened my eyes, the cameras were flashing, they were giving me flags, and I thought, I didn't know what to do. I was stunned. I was like, well, I was doing my lap of honour, and I was confused, I was dazed. I was like, is this me? And people were high-fiving me, world mm. champion. I thought, this is crazy. This is what I used to see on TV when I was a kid. 
and it was a moment that I'll never forget, and it'll it'll be a moment which is, you know, it's you know, apart from the day my son was born, probably the biggest moment of my life, and it it was a massive shock to me and everybody else around me. I was a sixty-six to one odds on to win that. Bet. Yeah, <laughs> bet. And as far as I know, no nobody bet, uh, nobody bet on me uh, as far as I know. You see that moment where your biomechanist and um, Rainer Ryder said to you, yeah. "If you change this, you've won." Did you? You know when you get nervous and you get that kind of almost sick, your stomach drops? Yeah, yeah. Did you have that feeling? Because that's such a big thing to be told yeah. just before you've gone in. Because you said how relaxed you were, but just yeah. that exact moment. Yeah. When they told you that, what went through your head? You know how what? did you feel? Did you kind of go like jelly? Yeah, but you know what the thing the thing is? If, if someone was to tell me that that would happen now, I would have thought that that would be my response. But mm -hmm. for some reason, I had this like... A confidence and just this unemotional everything was going right everything was just going right you have those days and when you guys will speak and you, you know you, you'll, you'll be speaking to so many different athletes they'll probably yeah. tell you the same thing things just feel right and you feel comfortable in that environment and suddenly if someone was telling me if you do this you're going to be world champion that would have seemed alien to me yeah three months before that but in that moment i thought to myself okay like i felt comfortable i felt relaxed with it and it felt right and i thought to and after, not even now, I think that must have, I don't know how I was so confident at that time, but I was just happy. I was in the moment, clear-minded, and I didn't get emotional with it. I just thought to myself, this is just a job what I've got to go and do. And yeah. and it, it it's quite crazy to think that even happened now. I want to, I, I do want to touch on the whole 2015, 2017, because those are also championships yeah. that you've won. Yeah. But I also want to talk about like what brought you in, because you mentioned where we've almost lost you to the sport. And yeah. I want to find out which mm. direction you was going in. Was it to another sport or to another job? But the first question is what yeah. brought you in? To the sport? Yeah, what brought you in? Was it schools? Was it just, you know, you saw it on TV and it was like, yo, that looks kind of cool. I want to go to another track and run. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm quite open with it. Now I've never really done podcasts. I've done interviews and I think it's quite common knowledge that, um, you know, from some interviews I've done that I grew up in, in, in rough circumstances. Yeah. Um, brief history both of my parents have been to jail at some point when I was a young baby my mum was in prison uh, for the first few months that I was born my mum was in prison so mm -hmm. I think I spent a few months alone uh, with, with my mum in prison uh, a lot of my friends and, and family as such had been in and out of prison just you know with the environment which we grew up in not yeah. their wrongdoing it's sometimes it's just an environmental thing where it happens and uh, I'd always been fast I was yeah. always quick. I was always racing people in the streets when I was a kid. My parents, my friends, I can always remember from my earliest memories being able to run faster than the other people around me. Yeah. In school, I always won sports days, but I travelled around a lot of schools when I was a kid. Okay. Um, How come? Well, you know, my family, I was homeless as a young kid. As a, I, When I was five years old, my family fell into some some finally, final uh, financial difficulties and uh my mum god bless her i completely love my mum but she'd be the first to accept and and you know admit my mum had issues with drugs and alcohol and i completely love my mum she'll be she's yeah. my mum and i love her dearly but she had her issues with drugs and alcohol and uh eventually we ended up being living in a homeless hostel when i was five years old which meant we ended up getting moved about by like the councils to different areas different schools so it was it was it was hard moving schools trying to make new friends all the time yeah. and the areas especially that we were, at that age yeah, as well yeah at that, that, that age it's hard and um and uh but 
all that was hard, it was a bit of an adventure, you know, as a kid, you know, there's so many people around the world that have it much harder than we do in Great Britain. Even if we were homeless, we still had a roof over our yeah, head. We true. had food. You know, some of my friends in athletics who grew up in certain parts of Africa have way tougher ordeals than we do. So you can't complain at times. But in terms of British circumstances, it was about as tough as it gets. And so I moved around a lot of schools. But when I went to one school specifically, when I was 10 years old, it was my first day at school, yeah. school sports day. I won it. The teacher was massively involved in sports and she really encouraged me. Then I, I won the county championships and she was like, wow, you're the fastest kid in the county. Your she, first day at yeah. school was sports day. <laughs> yeah, at my new school, Pentland Primary School. And you know, you, you know, anybody who's listening who's ever been to a new school, if any of you guys, it's quite nervous your first day at yeah, school, yeah. even though I was quite a confident kid. First day was sports day and I made friends straight away because I won because sports won day sports and they were like, wow, the new kid's really, really fast. And um, so I won that and then I went on a few weeks later to win the county championships. Okay. And I had success early on. Then the Olympics was on in Sydney at the time. Maurice Green became my hero. Maurice Green and Dwayne Chambers. I was like, wow, this is crazy. And when I realised I was quick and I was like, I want to join the athletics club. And mm -hmm. the coaches wanted me to go down from winning the primary school county championship. So I joined the athletics club and I think I won my first hundred or so races and I won. So I've always been uh, talented. My first six weeks in the sport, I think I was one of the fastest or the fastest under 13, under 11, sorry, in the country over the 60 metres. So I was always naturally really, really quick. Yeah. Throughout my teenagers, teenage years, I went on to win the English schools twice. Uh, 26, 2006 and 2007, which is very, like, when was the last time you heard of a sprinter coming from Middlesbrough Teesside? Yeah. It's rare. We don't, we don't, uh, we have, you know, we have coaches, but we don't have the, the most amazing environment that produces sprinters like London does, the talent pool here, and the, the coaches here, the coaching yeah. facilities, Lee Valley place like that, the environment, Everyone switched on to sprinting in London. There's a there's a culture. Yeah, it seems like it's growing as well because there's growing. quite a lot of people coming in. You know, from yeah. different backgrounds, just with that yeah. good coaching background compared yeah. to the north. Yeah, which is a weird because when you're in the north and you succeed, yeah, it seems like it's much of a big deal than yeah. coming from the south. Yeah, from London. Yeah, whereas everyone like it's common knowledge now. Everyone's sharing their ideas, coaches, the talents coming through. This is a conveyor belt of talent down here in London. Up there, it's not. But another weird thing about my story which I'll tell you on involves another athlete and throughout my teenage years uh, as I said I won the English schools mm -hmm. 2006 and 7 over the 100 metres so there was that was my initial talent I had success there went on to represent Great Britain as a junior yeah when I was 14 in a uh, I, I ended up being homeless again so, so social services got involved with my family tore my mum and dad apart. My dad, if without my dad, I would have never been where I am today. My mm -hmm. dad stuck by me through thick and thin. Even when times were tough, he, he went down the wrong path a few times in his life and he knew he got involved in things and he, he always wanted to push me away and put me in the right direction, even though we had family issues with my yeah. mum's dr drug problems and alcohol problems. And I've got an amazing relationship with them both now. They've put their issues aside and with me being in the position I am, I'm neutral and I love them both. But we ended up being homeless again, growing up in all the rough council estates. I lived in a homeless hostel, and basically a homeless hostel is like a council block of flats where you've got a warden on. It's basically people who don't have a council home or they don't have the money for a home, so you put them in these really dingy flats, usually with heroin addicts, crack addicts. You As know, a 14-year-old? Yeah, refugees have came in, so sometimes I'd, uh, you know, it, it, it would be tough, not the nicest. There was me, my little sister Heidi, Jack and Luke, and my mum living in a one-bedroomed 
dingy apartment. One day I was walking down the um, the, the flats and I bumped into a guy who was a Sudanese refugee. And my dad said to me, oh, there's a guy who said he's quite quick. He said he can do two metres something in the hydrant. I was like, all right. Met his name. He was called Rabbi Yusuf. Lived in the same block as me. That's Rabbi Yusuf, who was one of the fastest men in, in Europe. So me and Rabbi Yusuf lived in the same homeless hostel yeah. together in 2003. It's crazy. We went to the Olympics together. We shared with each other in the World Championships, European Championships, Olympics. We were homeless in the same area of Middlesbrough. At the same time, he was a Sudanese refugee fleeing from Sudan. I was a homeless kid from the area. And we were in the same block. It's crazy. And now me That's and Rabbi Yusuf. Yeah. And I remember training with Rabbi, Rabbi um, in 2005. Mm. And we were both poor. We, we both, you know, we, we both didn't have the greatest start in life. But we would be there in the pouring down rain. Yeah. And I remember having a conversation with Rabbi week after week. And we'd be doing our cool downs after training. He was fast at the time. He was older than me. Yeah. So sometimes when I'd run 200s with him, I'd run like the first 150 as he was training and just run after him. And we'd train hard. We'd be vomiting, putting the work in the trap. But that's one thing yeah. we had. The, the character which built in in, 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 in in people like us, we had that big character. We had that big heart. And we always knew one day things were going to change. And so we'd be training really hard together. And I remember being on the rainy nights at the track and me and him saying, you know what, imagine what it would be like if we go to the Olympics. Mm. Imagine us representing Great Britain, we could go to these championships. We were, we were kids then. And then, you know, when we look back, it was only me and him on the track. The other kids would go and we'd stay back, do extra work. We'd be out putting the work in when it was pouring down. This was that 15-year-old, he was 17. And um, we went on. To, to he went on to become one of the fastest men in European history, world championship finalist, world championship relay medalist twice. I went on to become world champion, double European champion, you know, Commonwealth and European relay medalist. And we were we were homeless together as kids in the same area in two thousand four. It's crazy. So you two must be like insanely close. Yeah, yeah, we're we're good friends. You know, we're 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 we're, we're, we're really really close friends. I see him a couple of times a week, and it's amazing the journey that we've been on. Mm. And um, yeah, and, and you know, throughout throughout the late teenage years, there was a few years that I got distracted. A few years that I tried to go. I, I went through college. I wanted to go to uni, but I started for a little bit. I followed my coach Jared Deacon to Loughborough. I hated Loughborough. Didn't want to be there. Started arguing with my coach. Didn't enjoy the student lifestyle. I moved back up to to Teesside. I got to the through the ages of like nineteen and twenty two. I wasn't making no money from the sport. Yeah. I didn't have the right environment to train in because all the top coaches were down in London or, and it was like, I'm training in Middlesbrough kind of by myself and one of my training partners, Christian, who ended up running 10.49, really good sprinter. Mm. Just me training with him, going to the track, lifting. And there was brief spells where I'd done, you know, um, I worked with a, a coach here, a coach there. And I kind of stalled at like 10.4, 10.3, mm-hmm. 20.8 through the ages of like 19 to 21. But I wasn't living the life of an athlete. And then it was like, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. Where am I going with life? And to be honest with you, through the ages of 19 and 22, there was a few times that I all, I narrowly avoided going to prison. Seriously? And it's, uh, and not that I'm a bad person. I go in now and I speak to kids. I've been to probably every single school in my area. 
and told the kids, look, especially from the, the deprived areas from the council estates, I go and work with the community. I go and see the, um, the foster kids, the kids in the kids' homes, and I tell them there's always another way out. I grew up in your environment. I lived in the homeless hostel. I grew up in a council state. I had no money. I nearly went down the wrong path a few times thinking that that was the right way. And I chose the right way. So there's always a choice. So I go in and I try and do my best for my community to inspire the kids to say, you know what, there's always a way out yeah. in whatever you choose to do. And um, there was a few times I nearly uh, threw my ability away. And then there was a few times that I wanted to, I even had thoughts of, even when that was, so I thought, right, well, maybe I'll go in the Marines, maybe I'll go in the Army. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And, um, you know, in the council estates, in the bad bad areas, in the in the tough areas like where I grew up in, it's it's common knowledge how they, you know, how they survive and stuff. And sometimes that environment, I couldn't really escape. I didn't have no money. I didn't have a penny to go and move down London. So eventually... I got hold of a local sponsor in 2012 and I moved down with Linford. I yeah. trained with Linford Christie and that was 2012 and I improved a lot because I was in the right environment but I had no yeah. money. I was surviving in London on 600, 500 quid a month. I don't know how. How? <laughs> yeah, how? exactly, exactly. Because yeah. exactly. like Bruno said. I was, I, was, I, was sleeping, I was sleeping on like uh, uh, Richard Strachan. He rented me a room in a house which he was sponsored by for very little a, a week so I really yeah. thank him for that. Uh, and uh, it was literally just, you know, I don't know how I survived. I had very little money, but I managed to get on the training camps. Uh, I managed to scrape up some money and, you know, things which I probably can't really even say how I did that. Yeah. Um, but I managed to get on training camps. Somehow I managed to get to get money and uh, get there. And I, I improved a lot. Uh, 2012 to not go on. I was running really quick. 20.5, 10.2 to open up with yeah. Olympic A standards. Anyway, I didn't have no money for physio. I was training really hard, had big hamstring injuries in the summer and they didn't select me for the Olympics. And I went home and uh, suddenly didn't get selected for the Olympics. I had no money to live in London. Yeah. No lottery funding, no support, no contracts. Now, like that wasn't making a penny. I was at home living, sleeping between, you know, my dad's spare bedroom or my mum's city in a council estate. And then I thought to myself, I've got to make some money. I've got to do something here. Yeah. And... Um, through that period as well, um, you know, there, there was a few times where I nearly, you know, narrowly escaped doing, going down the wrong path. And as I say, I understand a lot of people, even in over my athletics career, you know, sometimes I, 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 people might have said I, I, I've been a little bit impulsive or said the wrong things or upset mm -hmm. people. But, you know, that's my character. That's who I am. I'm sometimes misunderstood. Yeah, you know, I'm sometimes very misunderstood in things, or I have been in the past. But I'm a council estate kid. I grew up to become impulsive and rely on my instincts to yeah. get me where I am. And I'm very instinctive. I'm very impulsive in everything that I do, and I've learned how to control that. But that's the environment I grew up in. And if people probably understood some of the different We've people's done. background, we'd yeah, understand. Yeah. And I've seen firsthand some of the, some of the things which can go on. I understand how some people you know, can be portrayed as bad, but sometimes people's environment are not the best and sometimes people narrowly have another option. And uh, to be honest with you, it was always my heart and my positive mind that I thought to myself, you know what, one day, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm I was so relentless through that, that thing, I thought no matter what, I'm going to find a way to make this work. And in 2013, I was suffering mentally. I didn't know what to do with my life. I didn't know whether to go in the Marines or 
get a job or this and that, my education suffered. Um, there, there was a few things that stopped me from doing certain things. I thought, what do I do with my life? I retired from the sport for six months, wasn't allowed to go back down and train. Where Linford didn't have the money, no support from nobody. All the other athletes who had ran faster than in 2012, they were on lottery funding, they were wow. training in Loughborough because I think uh, because I spoke out on not getting selected for the Olympics, yeah. they punished me by not supporting me. So I was just in Teesside in a council estate 2013, the year before I'd ran 2015 10-1 and I didn't even have a car, didn't have the money to go to the track, didn't have things like that. So I started running up the local hills, pushing yeah. my friends' cars, going to the local backstreet gym where I had a, a free membership, lifting the weights. And I thought, mm. some way I'm going to make this work. And there was a few ways where I nearly went down the wrong path, which would have made me money, and which, but it, it would have been a bad life. Yeah. It would have been a life which I never wanted to do. It's a life which I'd seen short, you know, in close range. I'd seen friends, I've seen friends go to prison. One of my best friends was in prison for a long stretch and hung himself in prison a few days before the London Diamond League in 2016. I've seen so many of my friends and family going out of prison, suffer with drugs and stuff. And I thought to myself, I've done, I've came too far, I've trained too hard yeah. to throw my talent away. And I thought to myself in 2013, no matter what, I'm going to make this work. Whether I have to run up the hills, I, I ran after my friend. One time my friend had a little like 50cc motorbike. There was yeah. no one in my area who could keep up with me. So we'd go on the cycle path and he'd ride it and I'd run <laughs> alongside him. People would be coming over on the parkway listening, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And I'd be on, he'd be on his little motorbike. I'd be running after him, repeat 80 meter sprints, 120. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thinking, walk meters. back, walk back, stuff like that. And it was crazy looking back and I thought to myself, you know what, but that made me who I am today. Yeah. And uh, no matter what through that, that period there, it, it taught me to be um, relentless and, um, you know, as cliche and as corny as it sound. It's paid off. It, it, it made me into a stronger character. And, event, and, and, and 12 months later, from having, couldn't even afford a massage, couldn't afford to get to the track, yeah. no support from no one, no sponsor, nothing, no coach, nothing like that. 12 months later, I was world champion in the 60 metres. And it shows any athlete out there You've got to be relentless. You never know how close you are to having a breakthrough, and uh, that was that. That was that was that period. Yeah, that's such a storied like version, and I'm actually yeah. quite glad yeah. that I asked you that question. Yeah. Um, because now that's gonna give people a different insight yeah, to yeah. you. Anyone who watches this yeah, now is yeah. gonna be like, oh, well, we didn't see this side. We've just seen this guy. Okay, yeah, he's yeah, world champion. Yeah. He's done this. He's yeah, done yeah, that. Yeah. But then he's done this and this, and it's like. Well, now, guys, you've kind of seen yeah. more of a background to him. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Moving, going forward with that, um, with the perseverance and stuff, if yeah. you'd have gone down the wrong road, you'd have never been able to do your 1001 and your 992. Yeah, that's um, right, yeah, yeah. The day you saw the 992 come up on the clock. Yeah. Talk me through it. Yeah, it was good, you know, and I'm, and I'm always someone that I'm proud of the fact that I've done the 992, but it was wind-assisted. You know what I mean? I, I, and, 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 you know, I'm, I'm not a sub-10 sprinter because it was wind-assisted. Yeah. There's a few people who've ran sub-10 or ran, you know, 10 zeros. It's wind-assisted. That's not your PB. Yeah. yeah. My PB is 10-0-1 legally. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's my PB. But still running that, initially, I was shocked to see it. Yeah. And, you know, all of the races that day, there were zero wins. If you watch the race on video, it's on YouTube. You can't hear no wind. Look at the trees in the background. Look at the, look at the uh, flags. They're still... 
Um, the other lad who won the race, he ran 9.89, you know, but yeah, it maybe it, it, it obviously was wind assisted. That's what the wind gauge showed, but it was still a great run. And after that, I was ill for about six weeks. And, you uh, ran so fast, you ran yourself sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My few, my flights got delayed. Yeah. And that's another thing that people don't understand is, see, when you go to these diamond leagues or these competitions or the, on, you're, on, you're on the circuit, as we call it, sometimes you might race on the Saturday and your flight, you've got a flight, at, you've got a 6 a.m. flight the next morning. Mm-hmm. You might be two hours away from the airport. You might have to leave the hotel at 2.30 in the morning. You might have to leave the hotel at 2.30 in the morning. And when you do that, it's... um. You, you, you're knackered, you've raced, you've had a hell of a race, you've, you've, you've you know, you've took your body somewhere where you never do, yeah. you get no sleep, you're stuck in the airport, connecting flights, and you're in there, and I got home, and I was ill, and I had flight delays, I was, so, I got home, and I was ill for a bit, and I suffered in the Olympic trials that year, because mm-hmm. I was still a little bit ill, and I didn't run so great at the Olympic trials, but then a few weeks later, I started to get a bit healthier, made the European final in Amsterdam, I ran 10-1 into a headwind, the other uh, semi-finals had tailwinds. I won my semi-final, um, and I felt like I was in incredible shape. And in the fa- in the final, they had a tailwind, so yeah. I would have definitely went ten or something. And it got one in ten or eight. I was in lane four. I got DQ for a 0.99 reaction, and I was gutted because I felt I really felt like I was going to medal in that championships and run a super fast time. It wasn't to be. And then the week later, when I had a little bit of a tailwind and warm weather, I ran ten zero one. And I went into the Olympics only as part of the relay team, but I was absolutely flying through that yeah. period. And uh, that, that, that was my fastest year over the 100. And then the next year I built on that and uh, won the Europeans. But yeah, it was it was, not, it was it was a bittersweet season. I ran quick, but my timing, and you know, sometimes you can just be unlucky with things in the yeah, season. Except what it is when yeah, you get to yeah. meet, you know. Yeah. We all get the headwind, ed, tailwind. Yeah. Still 100 meters, yeah. That's, that's it, yeah. Take it because this, yeah, everyone is going through the same thing 100%. We all just, deal with it week in, week out. So. to deal with it, yeah. Trapping for it's, it's so funny, man, because no one ever sees the hardship like you're saying yeah. about like the flight delays and everything else. Everyone thinks it's all smooth, it's, <laughs> it's, it's hard because when, when your flight's delayed just for a holiday, yeah, you're annoyed. Oh, yeah. But when you're basically being denied recovery, yeah, it's a whole other thing. Yeah, and I've had people say to me like, "Yo, you get flown out sometimes the day before the meet, sometimes on the day of that meet." Yeah. So you don't have time to acclimatize. You don't have time to get yourself ready. Yeah. Sometimes it's literally you get your bags to the hotel room, yeah. and the next thing you know, oh hi sir, yeah, you're the um. The minibus is outside to take you to the track. Yeah. So some of those performances that you see that aren't good, there is a lot of reason behind it. Yeah, absolutely bang on. And there's so many stories that I could tell you. I remember one time I was in um I was getting ready for the Oslo Diamond League 200. Yeah. I ended up running really well. I ran 20.52 into a, like a minus 1.8. Okay. And it was freezing. I had lane eight. And I think I just got beat by Lemetra and Drobodwana went on to win a, a bronze in the world that year. But it was a good run. And... But I remember the day before I had a flight and my gap between the flights was about 50 minutes mm. in Amsterdam. So I went from Teesside Airport to Amsterdam, Amsterdam to Oslo. Yeah. And I remember there was queues and I literally had five minutes to get from like Terminal E to D or something like that. And it was about a mile and I had my hand luggage and they were calling. They said, Mr. Kilty to the thing. I literally, 
I swear down, I had to run flat out. It must have been 800 metres. I made it to the to, to the to the gate. The lactic acid I had was incredible. I felt like I was going to vomit on the plane. I got onto the plane and the people must have been looking at me thinking, what's wrong with this guy? This guy's I was sweating. I was keeled over. I was keeled over in my... Um, I was keeled over in my um, in my uh, seat, breathing hard, and the people were looking at me like, "What's wrong with this guy? He's crazy." <laughs> and then the next day, you know, got to bed, woke up, done the Diamond League two hundred, and you know, most of the time the competitions they do look after you, yeah. And you do um, the the hotels are usually always amazing, food's usually amazing. It's usually simple, plain sailing, but there is times uh, where things become difficult. I remember the first time my first indoor meeting in twenty sixteen. Yeah. It was a small one which Alphonse got me into um, before my success. And I remember getting into Paris Airport, flight delays. Uh, then I missed the next one, had to wait on hold for the next one. Got into the airport at like midnight. I thought, right, finally got there. And then the driver said, right, it's a three hour drive to, um, I think it was to Mondeville in France. And I was like, wow. Not only that, he said, we're still waiting on another three athletes. We need to pick them up from the terminal. Oh, we were driving around, their flights got delayed. So we were stuck in this little tight minibus for you know, another hour or two in the airport, then a three hour drive, you get there four o'clock in the morning, you're sharing with athletes that you don't know. Mm. And you're like, oh, this is a nightmare. Then you have to race. Another time in Gavardo, it was actually when I ran the Windy 992. Yeah. Gavardo is quite a small town and the meeting, although it's a really top meeting, it probably doesn't have, you know, as much money as some meetings. So we stayed in a family run hotel and I arrived in the hotel and I got to the room and I went in and there was a double bed which had like a metal cage around it. And then there was a single bed. And I looked and Arthur Delaney from America, who I was racing against, was in the single bed. And Pavel Maslak was in the double bed. I was looking thinking, it's not quite adding up here. <laughs> so I went down to uh, Alberto, who was the meeting director. And I said, Alberto. There's two guys in my room. And he, he looks at me and he goes, I'm not the hotel of the manager. I'm not the manager of the hotel. <laughs> and I thought, what am I going to do? Like, what do we do? So me and Pavel Maslak are asleep, you know, in this thing. <laughs> I remember rolling over a few times and like bumping into him, waking up and we're just looking at each other laughing, thinking this is, this is crazy. There was nothing we could do. We couldn't have slept on the floor because it was one of the, um, you know, like the, um, the marble floors. Yeah. <laughs> and it was absolutely crazy. And then you want to, I like to have a nap on race day, but mm. you can't have a nap because there's two of us and it's, it was, it was weird. And Maslak will, 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 will tell you that was funny. And it's, um, yeah. So sharing a bed at times, you know, it's so there's, there's, most athletes have got a funny story, but sometimes it's not all as, as, as plain sailing as you think the, the amount of flights that get delayed and this and that. And the traveling does tie you out sometimes. Yeah. It's not just, you know, one flight direct in you. The closest airport to the competition could be two hours away. Mm. So you find yourself usually traveling for about 12 hours. By the time I drive from my house to Newcastle Airport, it's an hour. Then you're waiting in the airport, an hour flight to Amsterdam, then maybe a two-hour flight from Amsterdam to wherever you're going, then another two-hour drive to wherever the city is that you're competing in. You know, then your back gets stiff, you need physio, and then you've got to race the next yeah. day. So sometimes it is tough, and the younger athletes that are coming through, I would give them the advice to just try and not stress about it, because the yeah. more you stress about your own control, just make sure you've got plenty of water, take your stuff for recovery, keep moving between flights and, and don't get too stressed out about it because sometimes you can't control it and understand that most of the people have been in the same boat at some point. Speaking on young athletes, um, just want to ask you a couple of questions before yeah. we um, tail out of this one. Um, 
do you pay attention to the power of 10 like and just see what's happening in in england because mm. i mean back in the day it was like a flex data where you could post your own times and you see yeah. some some ridiculous things go up there and now it's yeah. a lot more structured yeah um do you pay attention to i don't know like the under 17s and see what's going on and think okay you know i might nudge this person a little message and say keep keep um yeah. keep doing what you're doing you're doing really well blah 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 and yeah. just reach out to them yeah you know what I, I, I do I do check it and I do keep I, I, every you know couple of times a week I go on the power of tenancy I've seen some incredible results from uh, one of the under 17 uh, lads run 10-4 I think at the English school yeah. incredible yeah. phenomenal yeah. like absolutely crazy and uh, the talent I think the English school is an incredible system I think it's absolutely yeah. amazing and the talent out there which we've got in this country we're producing sprinters like, like no tomorrow and I do I do do that, and I would just say if there is any athletes out there, I've got all the time in the world for people. As I said, off my own back, I go into the local schools. Yeah. I've been in the youth prisons to, te- to you know to talk to the kids, get them engaged, hopefully change the way that they're thinking and help them, you know, change their ways of life. The foster care homes, um, our coach, I welcome anybody when I'm training at home. I have people uh, just from the area. A, a few young um, boys and girls. I let them join in my sessions. I said, "Come on!" I give them advice. I take my time out. Yeah. I help coach some of the young kids for free in my area. I'm always messaging them on Instagram, telling them to keep up. And I've got plenty of time for people. So if there is any young athletes out there, please feel free to reach out to me because I'm not one of these athletes who's going to ignore your message. I will <laughs> reply to you, and I'll spend all day. I'll give all my time back to, to if I've got if I see the message, I will reach back to you and. Uh, and give you lots of advice because I think it's our job to to um, to give back and you know let the younger athletes know some of the things that they're going to face and deal with on the yeah. on the way up and and, um, and 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 some of the challenges that it takes because we've got the talent there yeah but sometimes you know it's not um, handled right or you know they mm. make the wrong decisions but you know we're slowly starting to see more and more talent breaking through and becoming successful look at our sprinters right now it's it, it's crazy at the moment and i think we'll continue to see that but any young kids out there you know do feel free to send me a message i'll always be someone who's got plenty of time for everyone especially the kids i'm humble i'm from yeah. you know i i want it, i want as many people to do as well as i can and even in my own area i go out my way to try and help and support as many people as i can yeah i'm gonna ask you a quick few quick questions yeah, let's go um Best best training session. Best training session. Two fifty, two hundred, one fifty, full recovery, twenty minutes, Sick. flat out on the gas. How long does that session normally take? Warm up. T- I'll I'll do forty five minutes. I'll try and get a good warm up. I'll try and get into like competition mode for that. Yeah. And you're probably talking about uh, might do a few easy accelerations to build up for that. Yeah. Uh, could take two hours altogether, but I'll have twenty to twenty five minutes between each run. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, best training partner because you've had it's hard you know i don't want to leave no one out i don't yeah. like i literally I, i'll probably say this and then there'll be a few people pulling me up <laughs> this week saying, he's, a, with me. he's been put on the spot guys yeah. so if he doesn't say your name do not feel upset trust me rabbi yusuf when i'm doing my sessions at all. I've kind of got two setups because I, I don't live in Loughborough. Yeah. I'm trained by Benke and I train with Harry and Danny. But yeah. I also spend most of my time in Middles because of my family and my wife. So I train my wife. She's a great training partner. Yeah. But when I'm in Teesside, Rabba Yusuf. When I'm, uh, yeah, Rabba's always someone who I love training with. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, ideal food after a competition 
Or training session? After competition, burger, sweet potato or fries, strawberry milkshake and a big bag of Harry Bows <laughs> or a red velvet cake. I like to eat okay, whatever no, I want. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's see, what, other, what question could I ask you that isn't too... It's not a bad question. Um, Just fire them away. <laughs> best competition? Juniors, um, from junior days, because over the years, like they kind of, you had, obviously you've got the indoors, yeah. um, English schools, I think he was Sainsbury. around for UK school games. Yeah, you might have Sainsbury been around for like the first one. I won the first ever UK school games, 100 yeah. metres. Right. I won it by 100 for a second. <laughs> yeah, that was incredible. First time I was ever on TV as well. What was that like? That was amazing. Compared was to the, English schools? Well, it was amazing because, you know, English schools was good, but this was like a multi-sport thing. You were on TV, yeah. you had the opening ceremony, the closing ceremony. Yeah. You met people from all different areas. It was like a point scoring thing. And it was like a little like a mini... Olympics yeah. and that was amazing that was in Glasgow that was um, Scotston Stadium and I won it by a hundredth of a second the gun went and I ran the whole race I was that focused I didn't hear the recall gun <laughs> and I took my time walking back Yeah. and then I won the race by a hundredth of a second I was buzzing who did yeah. you beat to, who Olaf, did you beat in the first place Olaf won me Sobodu oh, who okay. was an incredible athlete I won the English yeah. schools to beat him then we went to the three years, which was like the UK Championships, yeah, and he yeah. battered me. He ran 10.48 as a junior, and I was yeah. like, what? And then somehow I turned it round again at the UK School Games to beat him again. So that was so a nice little rivalry a nice, a, nice, a, a nice little rivalry, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so that was amazing. English schools was amazing. The first junior championships you go to was good. That was um, European under-20s in Hengelo. Yeah. I was bottom year under-20. I only done the relay there. That was a good experience. First time, you know, you get your Great Britain mm. kit, you're buzzing, you're over the moon traveling with a team that was good and um i'm a big fan of the city games me i'm yeah. a big fan of them i think they're good i think they're amazing nothing really beats competing in the olympic stadium so here. the last question should we say yeah would you put your kid into athletics uh, that's that's the one that's the one you know and everybody keeps He's seeing me double athletics dreams yeah because <laughs> his mum, she's competing right now in italy i'm you know, as soon as we finish, yeah, I'll probably get the results. Yeah. So I hope she does well. She broke the Lithuanian record a couple of weeks ago. Okay. World junior champion, European under-23 champion. Uh, she got pregnant in 2016 when she qualified for the Olympics. Um, you so know, you're going to take the blame? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, was, I was in trouble with the federation for a bit. I was probably the more, most hated by the Lithuanians for a bit, but they're friendly with me now because she's back. Yeah. Uh, but she's incredible. She's like a superwoman. She had the C-section. Uh, six months later, she was in the top 10 in the world in the triple jump after a C-section of our baby. Uh, she, uh, she's doing well. And he's like a little, like, he's like a little superhuman. Mm. And um, he's, 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 oh, I love him to death. It's amazing that my son, but everyone always says to me, oh, he's going to be fast. He's going to be good. <laughs> but you know what? If he wants to do athletics, he already, he watches our videos now. Mm. You know, he, he watches even the highlight reels that you've done, you know, yeah, the, and yeah. things like that. And he watches, and he, He's buzzing, go, go, daddy, go, daddy. And he starts running himself. And he, you know, when he sees my races, he runs around dipping now. <laughs> so what he does now, it will be in the kitchen. Instead of running like this, because he sees me dipping at the end of the race, he just takes off running <laughs> in a dip position, but really quick like all around the house. Yeah. So he goes on his marks, set, go, and he runs off dipping, but he goes <laughs> he really just, quick. He doesn't come up. He's yeah, yeah. Just straight dry face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just dry face all the way. And, you know, he's... He's, he's strong, he's, he's, he's two and a half and he's got like little abs and he's really strong. <laughs> but, you know, I hope by the time he gets older, yeah. we can have the sport, you know, up in the lights a bit more. Yeah. If he is, I'd love him to do that. But ultimately, as a father, 
now and I want to be the best dad I can for him everything that I do now is literally to make my family and my son proud and uh, you know do well for him so he doesn't have to go down some of the routes I had to do and experience some of the things I had to do to get in the position I am I really want to give him the best life possible and I want him to make the decisions what he um, wants to make when he's older I want him to maybe he'll grow up and he'll want to be a a doctor, he might want to be a fireman, he might want to be a footballer, he might just want to, who knows what he might want to be, he might not want to do sports, but whatever my son wants to do, I'll support him fully and I'll commit my life purely to, you know, help him in whatever journey he takes. If he wants to be like his mum and dad, mm. he'll have a lot of good guidance and a lot of good people around him and we'll make sure, you know, he has a, a lot of support and and, and I'm sure we'd go really far in that, but I'd like I'd love him to be a footballer. I'd love him to you know make the easy money. What if he wakes <laughs> up one day and says, "Dad, I want to go do MMA." Ah, <laughs> got a lot of friends who who were boxers. Uh, mm. One of my one of my best friends. I was at his fight yesterday. Actually, yeah. he finished uh, Dorian Darch in two rounds. I think it took AJ four rounds to finish this same opponent. Okay. So he's doing well. Commonwealth champion as an amateur. Uh, my brother-in-law and lots of my friends, uh, lots of my friends, are, have all been, uh, you know, uh, boxers, MMA mm. fighters, things like that. So I'd rather not see him get his face punched in. <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd encourage him. I'll teach him that, and he'll yeah. be going to my brother-in-law's jujitsu classes and the catch wrestling classes and the yeah. boxing with my with my friends when he's old. I'll teach him all that so he can defend himself and and. Uh, you know, when he's in school making sure none of the other kids are getting bullied because that's a terrible thing. So I'll always yeah. get him to stick up for, for the quiet kids. Mm. Uh, but to defend himself, he'll learn that. But I wouldn't like to see him do it, to be honest. Like, I, I'd, I'd rather not. <laughs> like, no, I'm, I'm massive fans of, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. Uh, athletics, boxing, MMA and football are my mm. favourite sports. But... Yeah, I'd like. I, I, I don't know if I'd like him to do that. I, we'll see. But whatever path my son decides to do, I'll support him in it all. But one thing's for sure: I think we're already starting to see his, his strong genetics coming through already, and uh, it, it's amazing seeing him develop. And as I say, whatever he decides to do, we'll support him, and I'd, I'd love him to be successful in anything. Fantastic! I think this has been fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, for it's podcast. Been honestly, yeah, yeah I can't yeah. wait to hear it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've understood you. We've stand you. Be more as well as a person. Definitely, and, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, the media says a lot of things and we don't understand yeah. where it's coming from. We don't yeah. know your side of the story. Yeah, and yeah, I think a lot yeah. of people are going to enjoy this because yeah, yeah. you're more relaxed. You you seem like a really nice guy as well. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Than online, you know. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah. it's fantastic to meet you and we hope... We see you in the 2020 Olympics. Definitely, you know. yeah, yeah. 2020, listen, we got world champs this year. We got world champs first. We got world champs first. Hopefully, I'll nail them standards in the next few weeks. I think. I, 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 what I do think you need to get? 2040, 10-10. I've done them both before, That's numerous fine. times, and, and and I'm confident. I think I can do it, and uh, I re I really think I'll do it. And, Hopefully I'll be on again with you yeah, sometime in the next year. There's loads more stuff. I've got, some, I've got so many more <laughs> stories and things we can go into. Uh, I'd love to be on again with you guys. It's been amazing. Yeah, let's let's book up. him in for like early early winter season. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> just before it starts off. So around yeah, like the late October, we can, we can get So we know you are quite busy out at this moment because we've been trying to get you on for ages. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we, we've missed each other so many times. But so, uh, yeah, it's been amazing to have you on again. Yeah. I feel like there's, I know there's more there for you to say. There's and loads I more. hope, you know, the next few years yeah. goes really well for you and 
your well your wife good luck to her yeah, and yeah. hopefully we might be a double yeah, <laughs> we might yeah, have two yeah. of you both of you yeah, one at yeah. the same time well, she's she's already she's already done the olympic and world qualifier so she's already in doha and tokyo and so now the pressure's on me oh, man of the house i've got to do something <laughs> you'll take that in your stride yeah definitely definitely listen yeah. thanks again man for thank coming you. on it's been amazing and yeah i just wish you all the best of luck yeah. for the rest of the season man thanks for having me cool. go see you soon we out <laughs>